This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. Do you ever have the feeling that for every two steps you take forward, it seems like you're going back three steps? Or when you start a new project, it may seem like it's going to take forever to get it done. I think we all have experienced that sensation at one time or another, and yet when we talk about these projects, they are not usually life-changing events, but often just a part of our everyday routine. But they can be maddening. We humans are an impatient lot, and we're anxious to finish a project. But in many a case, it just takes too long, and we either lose interest or just plain give up. Well, our subject for today spent a great part of his life searching for his niche, and that doesn't mean he was idle or not successful. He did spend a great deal of time searching, but that was because of his intelligence, his devotion to a career, and his search for that special value that would actually give meaning to his life. And the bumps along the way, well, they were just speed bumps. They were major interruptions, but they were filled with sacrifice and torment and prison, too. When you get right down to it, as usual, I'm getting way ahead of my story. Joseph Kalinowski was born in Vilna, which was then part of Poland, on the 1st of September in 1835. At that time, Poland had not been on the map for perhaps 40 years or so. It was considered part of the Polish-Lithuanian territory and ruled by Russia, Prussia, and Austria, much to the chagrin of its inhabitants, who longed for the time in which they would be their own masters again and not considered like puppets of a demanding and often cruel foreign power. Well, the citizens of that time were usually plotting some new scheme to overthrow their captors, but they always failed, and then they were followed by even more cruel and usually inhumane treatment. That was the world that greeted the birth of Joseph Kalinowski. His family was prominent, and consequently as a child he received a good education, partly due to his family, but also because of his own search for knowledge and his quizzical desire for answers. Both his mother and stepmother had died when he was quite young, and his father married for a third time to a strong woman who cared for the children as if they were her own, and she was careful to fashion their home as a center of love while providing a strong basis for Christian education with the ultimate goal of being a genuine Pole. That was from the old word Poland, as well as a practicing Catholic. Joseph's formal education was in a strict boarding school, espousing the same basic two principles. It was so strict and structured that he saw his family only on Sundays. Well, now, as you can imagine, during those days, any formal religious activity was frowned upon, and one of the most popular teachers of Joseph's school was one of the very few Catholic priests in the area. However, he was soon dispatched to another location after a particularly stirring patriotic sermon. Nevertheless, Joseph would recount in his later years the students' fervor and their desire to be free 
and as he matriculated through his courses, he was always described as being a brilliant student in all of his studies. And because of that brilliance, his father was determined that Joseph should consider a higher education that was pretty much reserved for only the top students. The year was now 1850, and Joseph was still only in his mid-teens. The main problem was the kind of dictatorship under which they lived. Well, for the best education, it would be necessary for him to go abroad or attend the Russian university. The Tsar ruling the country at that time saw to it that all avenues of higher learning were pretty much closed. This undoubtedly was to keep the population uninformed so that they would be more dependent on the military rulers. Joseph's father, in an attempt to keep him close to his brother, enrolled them together to study agronomy, a subject of little interest to Joseph. Well, when you are as bright as Joseph was, you have a desire to follow the studies in which you have an active interest, which led him to the School of Military Engineering in St. Petersburg. His original choice had been the courses of School of Engineering for Roads and Bridges, but unfortunately the classes were all filled. When one is forced to accept second best, it often has a demoralizing effect, and such was the case with Joseph. Oh, he excelled in his classes, but that was at the expense of his spiritual life. You might consider this a time of crisis. While his early upbringing was strong in faith, time and distance had a distinct disturbing effect on him. The surroundings of faith to which he had become familiar, well, it was now becoming almost like a distant memory. Now, the atmosphere in which he lived and to which he was exposed was definitely non-religious, and one in which most of his contemporaries had little or no interest in matters of religion. It's obvious that he began to have a crisis of faith in which his earlier training seemed to fade from that now forgotten past. A letter remains that Joseph wrote his brother in which he said, and I quote, I am inclined toward the vanities of this world and am seeking in them a medicine for myself, but I do not find interior peace this way. He would also write that he had given up, well, all but given up, and abandoned his early religious training. As what happens when the super-bright feel an inexplicable void, he found himself continually searching for the, for the answers to life, for a meaning to his existence, and consequently Joseph became an avid reader, searching in print for what seemed to him lost in space. Oh, the books and titles would be both deep and varied. However, several seemed to pique his interest and to motivate him to study further. One, in particular, had a dramatic impact on him, and that was the Confessions of St. Augustine. Undoubtedly, he identified with much of what Augustine wrote. In fact, it moved him to start reading more books about religion, and that further motivated him to attend a number of lectures. This had such an impact on him that one day he even stopped in to make a visit to the church of St. Stanislaus in St. Petersburg, and he would later mention that if a priest had been present, 
Well, he would have gone to confession. His views were changing, and he wrote his brother that when he was unable to go to confession, he actually wept. Well, that was a far cry and a major reversal from his temporary departure from the faith. But what is it? What hidden thoughts and beliefs surface when one is searching for the truth? Well, enter the Holy Spirit if you only give him a chance. Joseph knew there was something missing in his life that was important, even vital. Now in his early twenties, Joseph completed his studies and was promoted to the rank of lieutenant in the army and named a professor of mathematics at the academy, proof of his intellect, knowledge, leadership, and ability. But he knew that academia was not for him. There was another calling, somewhere, but where? Well, recognizing that job was not for him, he accepted uh, an offer to become a lieutenant in the Tsar's army and to assist with the planning and building of a railroad in a rather dismal part of the Ukraine and Russia. And there he would have time to think and would one day comment, and I quote again, In this solitude I succeeded forming an interior peace within myself. And this continued work with myself and on myself, far removed from people, produced a great change for the good. I could fully acknowledge the value of the familiar religious ideas, and finally I turned toward them. End of quote. So often we get caught up in the speed of the world around us that our value system goes on overload and what is really important is replaced by minor obstacles of the day and instead of focusing on our faith-filled goals, we turn to the minutiae of the moment, which is exactly what happened to Joseph. Well, apparently the financing for the railroad was temporarily suspended and Joseph was transferred to an engineering job as a captain of the general staff, but then decided that the military life was definitely not for him. All around him he saw suffering and difficulties, while well, the suffering and difficulties that particularly the Catholics endured for their faith and the persecutions they endured at the hands of the Tsar. There was little opportunity to follow the faith, and he took it upon himself to start little school-like groups to function as many Sunday schools with himself as the teacher for young children. Well, more and more he realized that this military life was having a negative effect on him, and he withdrew completely from it as a career. And in January of 1863, there was an uprising in Poland by the citizens determined to overthrow the yoke of the Russians. Well, he knew this was bound for failure again, but felt he should return to Poland and be of help to the citizens regardless of the outcome. He felt that it was more important to be a part of what was good and fail than not do anything at all. So he resigned his commission and headed back to Poland. Because of his background, he was recognized as a leader and was named to the post of war minister for the region of Vilna, his home area. The title actually sounded more important than it really was. Well, the uprising, as to be expected, was a bitter failure. 
as he knew it would be, but the reprisals were probably as devastating as the battles themselves. Monasteries were converted into prisons, and many death sentences were pronounced. As to be expected, the Tsar's soldiers quickly rounded up whom they considered to be the ringleaders of the aborted revolution, all except Joseph, who, because of his title, was also considered to be a revolutionary. However, he was eventually taken into custody. But because of his extreme popularity with the ordinary people, the Tsarist didn't want him to become a martyr, and instead sentenced him to ten years in prison, far away in the depths of Siberia. The trip to Siberia itself was to be a monumental hardship. It's hard for us to comprehend in our time, but the trip itself lasted almost ten months, so you could imagine the horrors the prisoners endured. Many did not survive. The journey, well, on the trip, Joseph carried only three items that mattered to him. He had a copy of the Gospels, he had the book, The Imitation of Christ, and he had his rosary. Well, arriving at the destination, the prisoners were forced to work in the salt mines, which was a torturous job. Joseph maintained his composure and assumed a positive attitude that helped the other prisoners cope with the horrors they faced. In addition, he would share whatever he had with his fellow prisoners. He would later say, Outside of prayer, I have nothing to offer to my God. I can't fast, I have hardly any alms to give, and the only thing remaining for me is to pray and to suffer. And then he would add what is possibly his greatest gift, but never before have I ever had such a great treasure, and I desire nothing more. He felt that he was doing God's will, and while he maintained a positive attitude at the camp in Siberia by helping his fellow prisoners, his future goals, well, the path that he was being asked to take was starting to open up for him. He knew he was being called to the religious life as a priest. One only has to look back to the days of the university when he had so many questions and his religion seemed unimportant to him to understand really the truth that God was calling him all along, but it took all of that suffering to understand and hear the call. In July of 1868, Joseph was still in Siberia and remained there until 1874. Fortunately, his surroundings were slightly better, but far from tranquil. And while he was there, he met a priest named Father Zwernicki, who was a very holy man and had a profound effect on Joseph. There was no seminary, but the good priest was able to help Joseph deepen his faith and understanding of the church and her teachings. Perhaps one of Joseph's only joys at the time was when he taught the children their catechism. Joseph's final liberation from Siberia came in February of 1874, and then he found that there was only a handful of novitiates where he could be admitted as a novice, and they were in the West. Well, he'd served almost nine and a half years of his sentence and was forbidden to settle in Lithuania, so he relocated to Warsaw. 
He had to earn a living while he was trying to find a place to go to the novitiate, and because of his reputation, he was asked to become a tutor to the son of a prince who lived in Paris, and he agreed. The boy was named Augustus, but they called him Guccio for short. This was a short relationship of great importance on both individuals. It was difficult to believe how time had flown because Joseph was now 40 years old. Guccio was not robust, and consequently the two spent a lot of time in health resorts, and on one of their visits, Joseph had the opportunity of visiting a Carmelite monastery, which had a strong impact on him. He was concerned both with Guccio's physical health as well as his spiritual health, as his own spirituality became stronger and stronger. He was a daily communicant by now, and letters written during these times repeatedly reflected quotations from St. Augustine, Catherine of Siena, Teresa of Jesus, John of the Cross, and so many more. Joseph knew that as soon as practical, he too would become a religious. His question at the moment was, which order should he enter? In his earlier years, when he was incarcerated, he had read a book on the lives of the saints and was impressed with the order of the Virgin Mary of Mount Carmel, and that had a strong appeal, but for the moment the future of the young prince was in his hands. Well, God has a way of making things happen. It just so happened that the prince had an aunt who was a discalced Carmelite nun living in Poland and was heavily involved in renewing the Carmelite order in Poland, and when she met Joseph with her nephew, she immediately discerned that he was someone sent by divine providence. She kept silence at the time, but began besieging heaven with her prayers for Joseph to become a Carmelite. She was motivated motivated to send him a quote from St. Teresa, and I quote, Let nothing trouble you. Let nothing frighten you. All is fleeting. God alone is unchanging. Patience, endurance, obtains everything. Who possesses God wants nothing. God alone suffices, end of quote. Well, she must have been heavenly inspired because this became his motivating force to enter the Theresian Carmelites. But first he spoke to Guccio's father, suggesting that he hire a priest to tutor his son, and then Joseph headed to Austria to become a Carmelite. In November of 1877, he received his habit and took the name Raphael of St. Joseph, and in November of 1881, he made his solemn profession and his goal to reestablish the Theresian Carmel in Poland, while well, that was what he was aiming to do as he was ordained a priest in 1883. His journey had been long and hard, covering more than 40 years. Well, he was a leader, a motivator, and a servant of God whose zeal and holiness was so inspirational that the Polish Carmel was reborn and started to thrive, and through his leadership, new monasteries were founded, with the Monastery of Promyslia becoming a center for devotions to the Holy Infant of Prague. Then came a junior college, followed by a seminary in Wadowice, as well as a beautiful church dedicated to St. Joseph. 
His last years were spent in Vodovice at the seminary, where he spent the remainder of his life dedicated to the religious formation of young men to the religious life, as well as a confessor and a spiritual director. But always on his lips in prayer were prayers for the conversion of Russia. He suffered greatly during the last years of his life, worn down by hard work and mortifications, but his work at Wadavice was like a garden filled with beautiful flowers, and he was like a magnet attracting people not only to the faith, but also to the religious life. He was called home in the fall of 1907, and his reputation for sanctity continued to spread after his death as more and more pilgrims would learn of his life and come just to pray at his tomb. Not too many years after his death, there was another young man who was born in Wadavice named Carol Wotia, who one day would become Pope John Paul II. One can only wonder what effect the stories of the life of Father Raphael Kalinowski had on him. The depth of Raphael's life and report of his intercessions from above became more frequent, and his cause for beatification was started in 1934, and after complete and thorough examination, the necessary miracles were approved, and the young boy once known as Joseph Kalinowski was beatified by Pope John Paul II in 1983 and canonized a saint in November of 1991. He was a role model for people living in the modern world. He was a student, a soldier, an engineer, a revolutionary, a tutor, and finally a priest. But more importantly, he is an example of what one person can do despite the odds that may be against him, proving that with God, anything is possible. He said, I keep my eyes fixed on eternity, and from this source I draw constancy in the midst of the confusion of adult life. What a pity it is that we don't realize that we are on earth simply to prepare for heaven. We hardly ever speak of it, how we waste our life and our energies. Every step of our life should bring us closer to God and help to provide at least a little happiness to our neighbor. He showed us how really difficult life can be, but what one can accomplish in spite of those difficulties. But perhaps more importantly, the message of St. Raphael Kalinowski is that the road to heaven is not meant to be easy. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.